1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This is the word of the Lord. Now let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we uh, come before you ready to listen, ready to hear, and uh, Lord, we, we pray for your continued work of sanctification to be done in our hearts as we pay attention to your word. Father, your word is truth, and as uh, your son Jesus prayed, sanctify the church according to your truth. We pray for this to happen this morning and to continue to happen with us. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Back in uh, 2015, I read a biography of President Ronald Reagan, written by one of uh, his more famous speechwriters. Uh, her name was Peggy Noonan, and she published the, bu- the book back in 2001, which if you remember the context of history in 2001, um, it was immediately following the conclusion of uh, President Bill Clinton's uh, time in office. Uh, and the book had, had a great title that was so very fitting for that time, um, and even, I think, more, more so for our time currently. The title of the book is, When Character Was King. When Character Was King. So with that title, Peggy Noonan was making a point about the kind of man President Reagan was, and she was also implying something about the political climate at the turn of the 21st century. What she was saying was, character used to matter in leadership. It used to be valued by the American people, but not so much anymore. So here now, at the beginning of 2023, especially after the last seven years we've lived through in this country, it would seem that Noonan wasn't just making an observant social commentary of her own time, she was also being incredibly prophetic. It doesn't seem to me that character matters much in American politics anymore for either major party. And judging by how things have been going recently, I don't think that has been something that's been good for our country. And maybe you'd agree with that. But the character of a leader may not matter all that much for political leadership in our country at this time, but here in 1 Timothy 3, we see that in regard to the spiritual leaders within a church, character is king. Character is king. So each uh, local church must take care to, to only select as overseers men who are godly and faithful spiritual leaders. That's our, our, our main theme from verses 1 through, through 7 here of chapter 3. Each local church must take care 
to only select as overseers men who are godly and faithful spiritual leaders. The Apostle Paul's main concern in this letter to Timothy is to promote godliness within the household of God, that is, within the local church. He is concerned that the church remains faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ, both in their teaching and in how they are living. Paul knows that the character of a church will follow the character of its leaders. It is a sober fact that as goes the leadership, so goes the church. Therefore, the church must take care to make sure that the men they call as overseers or elders and pastors, that they are men who are godly and faithful spiritual leaders. For churches that are without a pastor, uh, I've read a few descriptions that these churches have listed for the type of man that they are seeking to uh, fill that that role for for them, and, and I've seen things uh, in those descriptions like uh, a magnetic personality, dynamic and engaging communicator, or the ability to effectively cast a compelling vision for the mission and ministry of our church. And these days, churches can get pretty specific about the kinds of gifts, talents, experience, and personality that they want their next pastor to have. Well, thankfully, the Bible is not that picky. The Bible is not that picky. Uh, These seven verses are the essentials. As one Bible scholar has noted, the most extraordinary thing about the biblical prerequisites um, for elders is that they are not all that extraordinary. In fact, it would be expected that any genuine Christian would have the majority of these characteristics listed in these seven verses. But what is clear is that for any candidate for elder or pastor who falls short of these characteristics, the church must not even consider him. One of the most repeated words here in this list of qualifications is the word must. Look at verse 2. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. And verse 4, he must manage his own household well. And verse 6, he must not be a recent convert. Or verse 7, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. Not just that he should be, or that he should strive to be, but he must be. These are non-negotiables for church leadership. And for girls in our youth group, these are also characteristics that you should be looking for in a potential husband, just as an aside. All right, so I've organized my, my headings around these these musts here in these first seven verses. But we begin with verse 1, where we see that the church needs overseers. The church needs overseers. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. The apostles here, um, uh, the, the apostle here, here quotes uh, what must have been a common saying that was making its way around the churches at that time, and he gives it divine warrant. He says, it is a noble task to serve as an overseer 
within a local church, and therefore it is good for men to aspire to seek to reach and take hold of such a responsibility. It would be a wonderful thing for a church to have a number of men who aspire to serve as elders within their church. For being an overseer involves the care and nurture of the people of God. That's why it is such an honorable undertaking. Each local church needs spiritual leaders. They need people who will care for, who will protect and nurture the souls of believers. Without men who desire to fill these roles, the churches would end up uh, like sheep without shepherds, unprotected, unfed, without a guide, left with no one to care for them. Therefore, it is God's will for the church to have pastors, to have overseers. Uh, we see this uh, in the New, New Testament in, in several places. In, in Acts 14, 23, uh, Paul and Barnabas were on their way back to Antioch uh, on their first missionary journey where they had spread the good news of Jesus Christ around uh, the Roman Empire and, and uh, planted several churches with the new believers uh, in those cities who, who came to faith. And as they were, they were making their way back, they, they returned to those cities where they preached the gospel and, and planted churches. And Luke reports that they appointed elders for them in every church. Later, when Paul is writing to the churches around Ephesus, he will teach that Jesus Christ gave shepherds or pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's in Ephesians 4.11. So faithful pastors and elders are gifts that the Lord Jesus gives to each local church. Therefore, each local church needs godly spiritual leaders as elders. Now, you may have noticed that I've been using uh, the titles overseer, elder, or pastor, shepherd interchangeably, um, and that is intentional. I use the titles interchangeably because the New Testament uses them interchangeably. They're all descriptive titles of the same office within the local church. For example, in Acts 20, when Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, uh, Luke tells us in uh, chapter 20, verse 17, that while Paul was in uh, Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And they came to him. Then just a few verses later, as Paul is talking to these elders, he says to them, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. So those are, are two different words describing the same office in the church. Elder uh, is the Greek word presbyteros, where we get the word Presbyterian from. And overseer is the translation of the Greek word episkopos, where we get the word episcopal from. So also in, in 1 Peter 5, Peter swaps the word elder with pastor in verses 1 and 2 um, there. So, so they're, they're all words that describe the spiritual leaders of the congregation, the shepherds of the flock of God. Now you may ask, why use these different words? Well, it was to help everyone in the church understand the role of these leaders. Uh, those with, within the church that had a Jewish background called the spiritual leaders in the synagogues that they grew up in, elders. And those from a, a, a Greek 
background would have referred to leaders as overseers. And, of course, pastor is the, the description of the work that they're called to do. They're called to pastor or shepherd the flock of God. Most churches will have a, a pastor as the paid uh, spiritual leader who is the primary teacher uh, and preacher. And he's often thought of as, as the lead elder. And then churches will, will also have, uh, often have a board or a team of elders who are unpaid but are, but are chosen by the congregation to be the spiritual leaders of the church. The Bible tells us every church needs them. And not just one, but, but a group or a plurality of elders. They serve a vital role in the church. And thankfully, we are, we are given direction on, on to, as, as to what kind of men to seek out for this important role here in our passage. So, verses 2 and 3 then, we are to consider the character and behavior of a potential overseer. Uh, Paul introduces the qualifications for overseers with the word, therefore. Uh, this refers back to verse 1, uh, where he described the work of an, of an overseer as a noble or an honorable task. It is the task of leading, teaching, and caring for precious souls within the body of Christ. Therefore, the church must take special care of whom they call to such a role. So, therefore, he goes on, an overseer must be above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. The term uh, above reproach here, or blameless, as maybe your translation has it, sounds like you have to be perfect, right? You must be perfect and sinless to be considered to be an elder. Of course, that scares many, many men away from the office of, uh, of elders. But you know, nobody is perfect. Nobody is, is sinless. So, so who would be qualified in the church? Is, is this an impossible standard that, that Paul's setting here? Is the Bible setting the bar a little too high? Well, well no. For, for a man who is above reproach is simply a man who fears the Lord. A man who fears the Lord and therefore seeks to live obediently under his word. He is a man who is free from scandalous sin or behavior. He must be a born-again Christian whose heart and life have been transformed by the grace of Christ. Uh, there is an, an, an old book on the ministry of elders uh, that I read uh, years ago written by a Scottish pastor uh, by the name of David Dixon. And he says, the office and work being spiritual, it is necessary that elders should be spiritual men. It is not necessary that they be men of great gifts or worldly position, of wealth or high education, but it is indispensably necessary that they be men of God. Men of God, at peace with him, new creatures in Christ Jesus. So, Brothers and sisters, the integrity of an elder must be beyond question. The kind of man that if you brought his name before the church, the church would not raise their eyebrows and say, him? Really? But rather someone whom the church would agree has been proven to be faithful. 
Many have also been confused as to what husband of one wife refers to here. So let's uh, re- remind ourselves that the church did not begin within a culture that had been influenced by the Bible's teachings for centuries, like ours has. Uh, this was a pagan culture, uh, which is kind of like ours now. Um, so therefore, marriage was often not what it ought to have been. People who were believing the gospel and coming to faith in Jesus often had broken, sinful ways of life uh, to repent of, uh, to work to change, and that included their marriages, as well as their relationships with the opposite sex. So God's word is saying here, for a man to be considered as an elder, he must be one who is known to be devoted and faithful to his wife. He must be a one-woman man, which is the literal uh, translation of those words, a one-woman man. This doesn't mean that that only married men uh, can be considered as elders. Paul himself wasn't married, and I think Paul would be a pretty good elder um, in a church. Uh, So this is just just stating that most men will be married, and if a man isn't married, he must be known as, um, or he must not be known as what our culture would refer to as a player. Um, He must not be someone who takes advantage of women, uh, one who sleeps around. Um, This, again, is pointing directly to the character of the man. This this list of qualifications is focused on the kind of man that he is in Christ, the kind of man that he is now, what his character is, is now. Uh, Then he must be, it says, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable. Uh, These are all characteristics that reveal uh, a Christian's maturity in how a man responds to challenges as well as to freedom. And these will be evident in in, in how the man speaks, how he relates to others who are different from him, particularly to children. In my home church uh, where I grew up and in all the churches that I've been, been a part of, the men who were the spiritual leaders in the church, the men who were looked up to, as the spiritual leaders in the church, who were trusted as men of God, well, they also happened to be the ones who were Sunday school teachers, who were youth group leaders. They were those who paid attention to and made young people feel welcomed, feel, feel valued. An elder must also be hospitable, it says. He must be a welcoming man, welcoming to strangers who visit the church, as well as inviting others into his home, he must be a man that's, that's, that's willing to open up his home to those in need. Another qualification that, that tends to scare some godly men away is able to teach. No, this does not necessarily mean that the man has to have a special gift for preaching or that he's just very eloquent um, in his speaking. It simply means one who knows the gospel, one who has a good grasp on what the Bible teaches, one who is able to to help communicate that message to others. Uh, The reformer John Calvin explains this as uh, knowing how to apply God's word to the profit of the people. So this is one of the the duties of the overseer, to be trusted to faithfully feed the flock the word of God. Now while while verse 2 has positive qualifications, verse 3s are are mostly negative. Okay, look at verse 3. Not a drunkard, it says. Not that one cannot ever have a beer or a glass of wine, just one who is not given to excess uh, in their drinking, especially in social situations. 
Also one who's not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome or contentious. Once again, when a man is proud, when a man thinks too highly of himself, he is often contentious. He's, he's thin-skinned. He's not willing to confess sin or admit when he's wrong, but rather will often try to justify himself and try to prove he's right. Well, that kind of man is unqualified to serve as a spiritual leader in the church. And the last one in, in, in the, the list in verse 3 is not a lover of money. Uh, this points to what the treasure of a man's heart is. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If, if money is a man's treasure, well then his focus will not be on Christ and seeking to, to love and to care for the flock of God. Next in verses 4 and 5, we are to consider the home life of a potential overseer, the home life. That's what verses, five, uh, verses 4 and 5 focus on here. So the home is the proving ground of a Christian character. Home is the proving ground of Christian character, and therefore the, the preparation field for ministry. Look at those verses again, 4 and 5. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? If the family members are being instructed in the faith, if they're showing signs of maturity and spiritual growth, well, then it's a clear sign that their shepherd is leading them well. And if a man is leading and caring well for his own little flock at home, he can also be trusted to care for the bigger flock of his local church. The word for manage here in verse 4 has, has two primary meanings. Uh, it means to supervise and nurture. To supervise and nurture. To lead in such a way that those whom you are leading are being cared for and provided for, that they are receiving what they need to grow and to be successful. Fatherhood brings those aspects together within a household. The father is the leader who governs the household, but the way he does this is by caring for the needs of each family member. A good father will be one who not only sets the house rules and lays the guidelines out for his family, but he will also effectively communicate those household guidelines so they all know the standard that they're being held to. It should never be a question for a child when they wake up on a Sunday morning, whether or not they'll be going to Sunday school and church. That must be a given for a man who would be elder qualified. The children of such a father would also never question whether or not their dad has a living relationship with Christ. That will also be evident to them. They, they will know that he is a man of prayer because he will regularly communicate um, uh, the, the need to depend upon God uh, with them. He will regularly and, and, and consistently pray with and for them. They will also witness him praying with and for others in the church. This man will, will discipline his children in love. This, of course, will not be an easy job. It takes work. It takes patience. It takes consistency. And he will never do it out of anger. And if he ever does do it out of anger... Well, he will confess his sin before his child and seek their forgiveness. The father will have to discipline his children 
at a cost to himself. It, it takes time away from other things which he would rather be doing. But it is crucial. Ephesians 6.4 says, um, which is, of course, the, the standard verse for the Christian father's responsibility towards his children, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So men who heed this call and takes, takes God's word seriously are the ones who will prove themselves qualified to serve as an elder. The Puritans used to say, the family is a little church. So the father who cares for his own children well would be ready to care for all of God's children in a local church. A man who is a faithful household manager of his own home will be a faithful household manager of a local church. And then in verses 6 and 7, we see that we are to consider the maturity and reputation of a potential overseer. Look at verses 6 and 7 now. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. The warning of verse one, I'm sorry, of verse six is, is one in particular uh, that the church needs to hear. We, we just love the enthusiasm of new converts. Uh, sometimes new converts are the, uh, are the ones who seem to be the most alive in their faith. They seem like they're the ones who are walking uh, the closest with the Lord. They're, they're, they are growing rapidly, and that can tempt us to want to give them responsibilities, to want, to, to want them to get up in front of people, start talking about their faith, all right? Start, start, start sharing with others what, what they're learning. We might believe that if we do that, well, maybe their enthusiasm will spread to others in the church as well. Now, we definitely don't want to discourage the enthusiasm of a new convert, but we are cautioned here to not be foolish by giving them leadership responsibilities in the church when they're not ready for them. Better to allow them to grow, to mature in their faith. When I was a young youth pastor right out of college, uh, I was eager to learn about how to grow my youth ministry. So I, I, I would meet and talk with other youth pastors in the city and ask them for tips on, on, on what they did. And, and one guy said that uh, his secret for his youth ministry, and it was a, a growing and large youth ministry, his secret was when a new student visited his youth group, group gathering, he would then give that student a job, some, some responsibility that they w w would be entrusted with that very first night. He would do that um, so that, uh, you know, they would have this obligation to keep coming. Give them a job, and then they'll have this obligation to keep coming. It didn't matter if they were a believer or not, just was given something to do right away. And then, and then once a student confessed his faith in Christ, the pastor said, um, he would then get that student involved in some type of leadership in the group because, he said, the fresh ones are always the most motivated to serve. And they had a great effect on the others. Well, the church that this pastor served at was, was not far from ours. It was in the same school district that ours was in. And over the years that I served at that church, I'd often get, get students who would come over to our youth group who used to attend his. 
And many of them shared stories about how they were hurt or excluded or even shamed by the student leaders of that particular youth group. It seems that their youth group had a lot of excited, motivated students, but they were also greatly immature and were motivated to hurt others and drive the students away that they, they didn't want around, they didn't want as a part of their youth group. And so there is a danger in giving leadership responsibilities to those that are too young in the faith, especially those who haven't been tested, who haven't been proven. And Paul warns that if a church does that, well, they might be putting them in danger. They might be putting that young believer in danger of being tempted to be proud, being tempted to, to, to feel like they're, they're very self-important. They might be in danger of falling like Satan did when he grew proud and grasped at the glory that only God has. Only God can receive. We are warned that we may be setting a new believer up to receive a similar condemnation as the devil received if we call them before they're mature enough in their faith. And of course, maturity takes time. We're also instructed that we must consider the reputation of a, of a potential elder, uh, the reputation that, that he has outside of the church and not just on the inside. If we only knew how the man acted when he is with other believers, we may embarrass ourselves when we select him to be our pastor or an elder in our church and find out that he has a reputation for being a self-righteous jerk to his neighbors or co-workers or if he owns a business, to, to his customers. More than once, I've been referred to a particular business because I was told the business owner was an evangelical Christian. Uh, I was told, you know, he's a leader in this particular church. And, and then, so I'd go to that business, and, and uh, then in my experience with him as his customer, I was treated with disrespect, even lied to by them. So for church members, and especially church leaders, everything you do outside of the church reflects on your church and reflects on Christ who is the head of the church. So we want to make sure the men who are the shepherds of the church are also good examples of men who have been humbled and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and are living that way outside of the church. Men who walk in humility and godliness no matter who is watching them. We see finally here in the end of verse 7 that Satan is out to get the elders of the church. Satan's out to get the elders of the church. There are innumerable ways a pastor or an elder can fall into sin and disgrace and do great harm to their families, great harm to their church, great harm to the reputation of Jesus Christ. We need to know Satan is the enemy of the church, and therefore he has been and will continue to be after the church's leaders. So pray. Pray for the church's leaders. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your elders. Pray for pastors and elders of every church that you know of. Pray for pastors and leaders of churches within our own Midwest district of the, of the free church. So brothers and sisters, we, we are in a culture that, that values big personality gifts, uh, extraordinary gifting within leadership, talent. We are drawn to those men. We, we listen to them on the radio. We, we watch them on television. 
Men who, who draw our attention with personality and talent are the ones that far too often we in the church are the most impressed with, who we think will be the kind of men who will make great leaders. But I hope that you've seen from these qualifications that actually personality and talent aren't even mentioned here. Not even mentioned. They are certainly not prioritized. But what is prioritized? Well, what is prioritized is the character of a man, the home life of a man, and the spiritual maturity of a man. And a man will, will only have that kind of character if he knows Jesus well. If Jesus is his Savior and Lord, and if Jesus is transforming his life more and more, you know, that it's evident that the fruit of the Spirit is growing in his life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. However, you may be someone who, who knows that you are lacking in all these things. And you're looking at these things and going, man, this is nowhere near a description of who I am. Your life doesn't look like this, and you know you feel like it, it ought to, like there's something wrong. Well, if you want to change, if you want to grow to become more like this, it starts with your repenting of your sin, repenting of all the ways that you are not like this, and to trust in the saving work of Jesus Christ for you. Not trusting in, in your own ability to, to maybe become this, not trusting in your own strength or your own works to start doing this. No, no, it begins with trusting in the saving work of Jesus Christ who did the work for you, who, who lived the perfect life, who died on the cross for your sins, who was raised from the dead so that all who believe in him will then be justified before God, be made righteous before him. So, so, so come to him, come to Jesus. Get to know Jesus, admit your need for his transforming work in your heart and life and start to listen to what he says in his word daily. His word will then shape you, transform you, bring about the changes that you're needing to have happen in your heart. And if you continue in that way, well, you will mature into someone who reflects these characteristics here. And let me tell you, the church will be better and stronger because of that. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we uh, come before you and uh, maybe we are humbled by this passage. Uh, maybe we are um, realizing our, our great need for change. Uh, maybe we've just been re reminded, Father, that this is the kind of person that we are to be and the kind of man we are to look to as a spiritual leader. Maybe we've been drawn to other things, personality and extraordinary gifts. Father, help us, humble us, help us to, to more and more be instructed and guided and led by your word. And Father, if there's things we need to repent of this morning, Lord, I pray for your spirit to do that work in our hearts. Bring us to repentance, humble us, and Lord, lead us into seeking the grace of God and the transformation of our hearts and lives to be more and more like what we're seeing here in this passage. Praise the name of Jesus. Amen.